Bible, if you would, grab your pew Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you to Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read this morning until uh, to verse 17. So Romans 10, starting in verse 5. Uh, as a church, there's really two dates that we observe on the church calendar. Uh, some denominations um, who might might be described as, as high church observe uh, many dates on the calendar. For us, we observe uh, two dates, Easter and Christmas. And those are times in those services where there's not so much the um, teaching on a new subject matter, so to speak, uh, but it's it's going back and looking at the essentials of the Christian faith. And so for, for Christmas, it's talking about the birth of Christ, obviously. Easter is, is resurrection. Uh, I guess my, my point is that nobody comes to, certainly in this context, in this area comes into a a Christmas service where we're talking about uh, Jesus being born and nobody's really, I'm assuming that nobody's sitting in the pews thinking, hold on, Jesus was a baby? I had no idea. You've got to tell me more about this. I had no idea about this truth. This is totally new to me. Uh, But it's it's going back and being reminded of those uh, hallmark, essential, uh, foundational truths about the Christian faith which is not to say that those things are not helpful to us, going back and and being reminded. Uh, Certainly, if you're, as we're moving towards Easter, and we're going to talk about resurrection, we're going to talk about how God brings uh, life where there is is death, certainly if if you're moving towards that uh, resurrection Sunday and you're feeling the weight of circumstances, that the the weight of of what's going on in your work life or family life or or personal life, um, it's encouraging, it's it's strengthening it's it's renewing to hear about resurrection life and what God is is doing and how he's able to do those things in our passage this morning we are going to hear uh, some more foundational principles or truths about the Christian faith and we're going to look at uh, say, you know confessing our uh, belief what does saving faith look like um, we're going to talk about uh, evangelism and I'm assuming that nobody's sitting here thinking evangelists. I've never heard it. You mean we have to tell people about Jesus? I've, I've never heard of that. Tell me more. I'm assuming most of us, again, they, we understand that on, on some level. The message is not just for us, but it's for everybody. It's, it's, it's for the lost. It's for the world. It's for all cultures. But nonetheless, we get distracted from those things because of just busyness, because of distraction, because of other things have occupied a a new space in our lives and we forget the foundational principles that we are to be wrapped around and to be knowing in in a central way and that's my hope this morning as we enter into this passage that you're not seeing anything uh, new there may be some new nuances to things but the essential truths are things that you're familiar with but you're being reminded of how important they are and how vital they are to be the the central point uh, of our so with that being said, let's read from Romans chapter 10. Let's stand together as you're, as you're able. We're going to start in verse 5, and I'll read through verse 17. Romans 10, 5 through 17. Let's hear God's word together. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. All scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one who have how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for the Isaiah says, The Lord who has Lord who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, would you in these moments give us ears to hear, give us hearts to embrace, that you would refresh and remind and strengthen all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. The church we were uh, once a part of and ministering with in, in Florida had a, a partnership, a missions partnership, if you will, with uh, Peru. And by partnership, I mean there was a, a couple that served as missionaries uh, in that area. And our church in Florida would have them come in and, and, and share and speak, and we supported them financially. And uh, we even would send a, a small group of individuals, 6, 10, 12 folks that would go once a year on just a short-term mission trip, as, as it's called, to go to Peru and spend time with this couple and to kind of mix in with them doing ministry there and to see how things are going, to see old faces and to just to, to pray and, and be a part of that process there. And I got to go uh, one, it was during the summertime, got to go one time and spend a, a week down there. It was my first time to Peru, and there's probably two uh, things about that trip were, that were really memorable for me. The first is that I was asked to, to preach down there. Now, I've never preached in a, to um, a group of people um, where I had to have a translator. And so what that looks like is I'm up there with standing up in front of everybody with, with a translator, and I would say a sentence or a sentence and a half or maybe two sentences, they would translate. So there would be this back and forth, which was really hard. It's much harder than you think it would be because you start to feel like you're on a roll with a point, and then you've got to stop because you've got to have this translation. And then you kind of keep going, and so this, it's hard to get a, a cadence down. The other thing that was memorable about that trip was just the, the, the poverty or the difference between rich and poor and how drastic it was. We went out, um, a group of us went out with some of the folks from the, the church we were part of or you know, visiting with down there, and they had these um, evangelistic contacts those contexts were individuals who were interested in the gospel or interested maybe more information about the church or something like that. And we went out with some of the locals to visit these 
folks. And we went to this one house, and by house I mean shack, and by shack I really don't mean shack because a shack would would be paying it a compliment or describing it as something it really wasn't because a shack has floors, it has doorways, it has uh, some kind of structure to it, it has, has many rooms. At this house, if you want to call it a house, was made out of borrowed or thrown away pieces of plywood and, and billboard signs and, and tarp. Um, it, the, the floors were made of dirt, and by they were made of dirt, I mean it was literally a dirt floor. Uh, they had some kind of power. They had one bulb that was hanging from an um, electric cord, and it was not an LED bulb, okay? It was like the old school bulbs that was hanging, and that was it. They did have some separation because they, they hung up some, some cloth or some tarps there to give some space uh, to the rooms. Uh, when we walked in, they were very gracious and, and very welcoming of us and, and grateful to have us there. They sat us down, and uh, they gave us some what you would do when you had somebody visiting. They, they showed some hospitality. They gave us some hot tea, and they gave us some bread. And in that moment, as I'm looking at that tea and bread, I knew how much of a sacrifice, how big a deal this was. Because when you look at the, the bread that they that somebody gives you and it has mold on it or little spots of mold on it, you know that they are sacrificing big time and they are very showing as much hostility and graciousness as possible. And you get a window of what life is like for them. Conversation went on back and forth, and we kind of left that uh, space, uh, praying, hoping that the gospel was going to get some traction, hoping that was helpful. And not what seemed like maybe five or ten minutes later, I, I don't know why we went there, but we went to the mall in, in downtown uh, Peru. And this mall would give an American mall its run a run for its money. It was high-end stores. It's uh, shiny floors. It's it's marble. It's it's soft music playing as you're walking the hallways. It's fountains. It's the, the, the beautiful people of Peru walking in and out of all these shops. And I'm walking this, these hallways, seeing these shops and seeing these people, the, the gap that existed between rich and poor could not be more drastic. I mean, a moment ago, I was in a literal, this bedroom that's made up of, of plywood and billboard signs and, and tarps and where somebody lives. And then walking this, this high-end mall couldn't help but being burdened by the gap that existed between the haves and the have-nots, the, the rich and the poor. When we look at this passage this morning, Paul is, is burdened by a gap that exists. Not between rich and poor, but he's burdened by a gap that exists between God and those that do not know, do not believe, do not profess faith in him. Those who are overwhelmed by this gap that exists between us and God. In verse 1, Paul says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is Paul not taking the issue of, of his theology and the teaching of scriptures on an academic level, but his heart is so intertwined with that truth, he believes it so much that it drives him to pray. It drives him to be burdened by these people who are, are suffering because of this gap that exists between God and those that do not know he seeks to articulate and, and, and drive a filling of that gap with an understanding of faith, an understanding of this message that we believe that, that closes that gap so that we can know him, so that we can behold him, so that we can know the grace and mercies of 
that he extends to us. And so what I want to do simply with this passage is talk about that message of faith. To talk about it in the sense of how it is we confess it, how we believe it, what is saving faith for us, and then what does it look like to proclaim this faith? What does it look like, uh, what, not so much motivation, but the, the, the need to proclaim this faith that's, that's around us all the time. So first, confessing the message. Let's, let's think about uh, that. Uh, the central verse I want to look at is verses 9 and, and 10 really 8, 9, and 10. But before we go there, we've we got to see how Paul sets the stage to how he talks about uh, the, the message of faith. He wants to, to get his readers away from the understanding that, that righteousness or right standing with God comes through activity, it comes through doing, it comes from coming from obeying the law, if you will, to use the language uh, of this passage. He commends them for being zealous. But he's critical of them being zealous without knowledge. He's critical of them for having a zeal that, that does not have a knowledge. It's great, Israelites, that you're understanding the law, that you're obeying the law, that you go to all these lengths to, to serve him and to uh, and, and do things that, that would please him. But that, that zeal is misplaced if there's no knowledge, if there's no understanding of real righteousness. Say, for example, you have a, a woman who has a neighbor that is is sick. She's just not doing well. She's sick in the sense that she's just down. Life has been real hard for her, and it's been a real burden. And this woman, seeing this, this neighbor's need, she says, I want to really encourage her. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Walmart. I'm going to buy some flowers. It's going to be these beautiful flowers. And I'm going to bring them to her. And that's what she does. She brings these flowers to her neighbor. And her neighbor immediately backtracks and says, no, I cannot have those. Because those flowers make her sick. They drive these, these allergies that just do wreak havoc on her body. It's just not good for her to be around flowers. That woman has a zeal, but it's a zeal without knowledge. She doesn't understand what her neighbor really needs and what she, what she can and cannot have. And that's Paul with the Israelites. You have a zeal. It's great that you want to obey these laws and take them seriously, but you've got to have knowledge. You've got to have an understanding of Christ, the gospel, of grace, forgiveness, of of what Paul talks about in this letter of justification by faith, by grace alone, through what Christ has done for us. Now that sets us up for verses 9 and 10. So let me read those again, starting in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, which is to say the word is within your grasp. It's, it's right in front of you. It's simple. It's you can get a hold of it. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And he's quoting from Deuteronomy, which of course they would be familiar with with. This is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And it's easy to see Paul's given two elements of of confessing, of saving faith, of what it means to embrace this message. For starters, it means understanding the content of our message. If you were here this, this morning during our, our Sunday school time, it, it, having faith for the sake of faith does nobody any good. To believe for the sake of believing doesn't do anybody any good. But we have to have content to our faith. We have to, to profess. We have to understand and pledge ourselves to certain truths. We have to align ourselves with certain truths. There has to be content to what we 
every Monday morning, at least during the school year, I have to take one of our children to the primary school. It's early in the morning. It's first thing in the morning. and He's got um, a, a class that he takes there. And I take him. I drop him off. And uh, they go back. And I'm left to sit. And I just have, like, it's just a half hour. So I just sit in the kind of lobby area in front of the school. And uh, the receptionist is, the school receptionist is there. And students come filing in. They're, they're tardy. And so they give their name to the receptionist. They kind of march off to class, and it's kind of fun just to see who's late and who's there. Not that I know that it doesn't really matter. And so I'm watching this, and usually there's announcements going on that, that kick in. And so, which is a great opportunity to learn about what the menu is at lunchtime, to learn about the bus schedules or certain events that are going on. You get the word of the day, uh, or the word of the week is integrity. And they also do, of course, they do the Pledge of Allegiance. And, so, and they do it over the PA. And so here I am. This is always an awkward moment for me. I'm in this lobby. It's just me and the receptionist, and they're doing the Pledge of Allegiance. And so in the back of my head, do I stand or not? This feels kind of weird because when you do the pledge, you do it in a classroom. You do it with other individuals. It's in a big group. It feels weird, me and the receptionist, saying the Pledge of Allegiance together. It's like, where's the flag? Oh, there it is. It's kind of in the corner there, and I'll look at it. But when you make do the Pledge of Allegiance, you're confessing certain beliefs. You're aligning yourselves with these truths, with these principles. That's what Paul is saying to us here, uh, to, to confess with your mouth. You're, you're pledging, you're, you're giving allegiance to these truths that Jesus is Lord. And that means exactly what you think it means, that he is Lord of creation. He is Lord of all that he has uh, governs and looks after. He's even Lord of ourselves. He's Lord of our bodies. He's Lord of our relationships. He's Lord of our, our work, our career, our, our finance. He's Lord of all those things. The content, too, includes Jesus was raised from the dead. If he's raised from the dead, it means he died. If he, if he died, there has to be like, well, why did he die? Was it a random? No, it wasn't random. He died for our sins. He died in my place. And so we confess those things. There's content to what we believe in. Which leads us to the, the second thing. Not only do we have to have content, but we have to believe it. That we believe it with our heart. In other words, it's not just an academic thing, but you believe it with all that you are. The heart in the sense of the center of your being, the core of your identity, is pledging, aligning yourself, professing these things to be true for you. Not just in a general way, but they are personal to you. That that, that he died for my sins, for what I did last week, for what I did that one time there, for, for my sinfulness that's all in my life. He died for me, and you take it very personally. Some would say that there's not so much a profession of faith, but there is a possession of faith, that you are possessed by that faith. When I was a, a senior in, in high school and beginning to, to wrestle with the gospel and, and understanding it through uh, the youth group that I was a part of, I went to uh, a John Guest crusade. A John Grace crusade is like a Billy Graham crusade that, that used to go on. It was a, a, a community uh, outreach event. And so there was a gathering in this kind of public uh, space, kind of outdoor space, and there was singing, there was a message, and there was an altar call. And by altar call, I mean that at the end of the message, this invitation from John Guest, who was the speaker, he's uh, inviting people to come forth. If this message is coming true to you, if you're hearing the gospel want to embrace it by faith for the first time and to know this then I encourage you to come forward and uh, and pray with somebody to get some some help get some insight and that the, the motive for that is 
is, is great. It's like you're beginning to process things and you're beginning to digest this and take ownership of this gospel for yourself. Come forward so you can connect with somebody and, and pray with them. But what's not being communicated and what should not be perceived in that moment is by walking the aisle, by saying a prayer, by signing a card, that, that now I have become a Christian because I did those things. Certainly you need to profess your faith, and there's nothing wrong with walking the aisle, but it has to be a possession of that faith, that that faith, that, that message has to own you at some level where it's personal. It's for you. You're identifying yourself with it in a way that says, I have got to change, that this is now true of me, that, that who I was then is different from now in this moment because of what I've, I've come to believe in him. And this is Paul articulating to us in these verses, 9 and 10, it means to profess this message of faith that he gives us. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about proclaiming this message. What does it mean to proclaim this message? What does Paul show us here? Since Janelle and I have been married, we, we try to uh, join a gym, and just a, a simple gym where there's uh, there's cardio machines, there's weights, and there's you know you can go somewhere and just kind of work out and, and do your thing. It, she may not have noticed, but I, I noticed this. No matter whatever gym it's been, there's always been a guy there that looks like an upside-down pear who's got two toothpicks sticking out of his bottom. And what I mean by that is that somebody who has worked out their chest, works out their arms, works out their shoulders, works out the, their abs even, but that's all they've worked out. He's the guy in the gym that's wearing sweatpants, even though it's 100 degrees outside. Uh, he's got sweatpants on because he knows about his legs, and he's just ignored his legs. He's just working out his upper body. He feels strong. So he, he thinks he's strong. He looks healthy. But I, 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 I bet somebody of, of average strength could go up to him and just kind of push him over because there's no strength in his core. There's no strength in his legs and his glutes and his hamstrings where all that power resides. He's just weak there. And you look at him and you think, you just look so out of proportion. You look out of whack. There's just something completely off about you. But I want to say to us, there's something out of whack. There's something disproportionate. There's something that does not look right. If we're all in on believing the message and, and trusting it and cultivating it in our lives, there's something out of whack if we're not about articulating it, if we're not about sharing it, if we're not about communicating it to other people. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. I believe in this message. I believe God changes people, and he changed, he changed me. Well, if that's true, then certainly you want to be somebody who's winsomely communicating that to other people, who is a part of that process of, of reaching out of missions, of sharing the gospel. And this is what's behind Paul saying to us in, in verses 14 and 15, all these how questions. You know, how is this? How is that? How is this going to happen? He's talking about the need for evangelism, the need for uh, getting out there and talking about our faith with others. The first, there has to, it, this message has to be heard. How can they believe the one of whom they have not heard? How can you believe in something you have not heard? How can we expect them? God wants us to use us in that way. It's what we've talked about in verses 9 and 10, the content of this message. It has to be descriptive. It has to be uh, described, it has to be proclaimed, if you will, it has to be heard. It, reading the Bible is not like reading a book that you, in Harry Potter kind of book, that you would see in one of those books or, or movies where you open it, you read it, and something magical just happens. But you've 
got to hear the Bible. You've got to process the message. You've got to have it communicate to your life and to your heart by the Spirit. It's, they're, they're not lines that are special mystical power, but the, the Spirit has to work in that word so that we hear it, so that we can believe it. Uh, the message has to be communicated. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Don't When you hear preaching to them, do not think exclusively a Sunday morning service like this. But think about preaching in the sense of somebody heralding that truth. In, in Paul's times, they had heralds who were like living newspapers in the community, in that marketplace, uh, describing or de- sharing or giving news about these events and these laws or, or these kinds of happenings. We herald that truth. We communicate that truth. And finally, the message of faith must go out. How can they preach unless they are sent? And in one sense, we see this in two ways. Christ has sent the apostles. He sent uh, his disciples out. And that's much of what we get in the New Testament. It's the apostles writing that declaration to us, that truth that's been given to us. But in other words, he sends out individuals. He sends out missionaries to go to cultures that we have no desire to go to or don't know anything about. He sends up, he raises up pastors to go and, and plant churches, but he raises up people like you and me to be sent to our neighbors, to be sent to our family members, to be sent to people we work with, to be sent with people we do sports with or do parenting with that don't know Jesus, that don't understand what it is to, to have sin forgiven and all those those things that come with it. He sends us out to be a part of their lives because he wants to use us. You think about the, the progression that we see in, in this passage and how it flows. If there's no sending, there's no preaching. If there's no preachers, there's no preaching. If there's no preaching, there's no hearing of the gospel. If there's no hearing of the gospel, there's no believing. If there's no believing, there's no one calling on the name of the Lord. Can you think of anything more tragic than that? It's people who possess and this message, this transforming message, how heartbreaking it is, how much of a burden that gap should be for us as we think about a lost world and lost individuals in our lives. It's interesting that chapter 10 comes after chapter 9. If you were here with us last week and we looked at chapter 9, or you you know what's in chapter 9, it's Paul answering the question, how is it that anybody loves God? He says it's because of God's sovereign grace. God does it. And then what do we get in verse 10? We get this, all this information, this, this push and this argumentation to go and to proclaim and to talk about this truth. In other words, God wants to use his people to share the gospel. R.C. Sproul, when he was uh, a student, was taking a class where they, the professor was talking about election and predestination and God's sovereignty and he was beginning to process all that and the classroom was set up where it was in a, a, a semicircle and he had all these students probably a dozen of them sitting in the semicircle and the, and the professor right in front and he asked them uh, if the doctrine of election is true why should we engage in evangelism and he got crickets okay it's just silence in the room nobody raised their hand nobody wanted to answer the question and so he did what every student hates he called on people by name. He started on, on this side of the room, and Sproul was over here, and he was kind of last in line, excited and felt feeling very comfortable. He's got this buffer of all these students in front of him. He asked the first student, what's the answer? And he says, I don't know. Next one, 
gave an answer, but it wasn't a good answer. It wasn't the right answer. And he goes on down the line. He finally gets to Sproul. He says, why should we do evangelism? And Sproul says, I know the answer has to be far more profound than this, but one of the reasons that we should engage in evangelism is that Jesus commanded it. And his professor looked at him and said, can you think of it? Any, is there any other better reason why we should be sharing our faith? Why we should be engaged in evangelism? Because our Lord and Savior commanded that we do so. God gives us the privilege to share his gospel. He could just speak from the clouds and make this world declaration to all people about the message. But he doesn't do that. It's always been this plan. It's always been his desire to use his people to share in this work, bringing people to faith in Christ, to use people like you and me who are crooked sticks, who have our insecurities, who have uh, errors in our life and, and stuff that we're just messing up in. He desires to use us because it's not about us. Uh, the lost are one, not through our how snappy our words is or how sharp our communication is us through his spirit to communicate his truth to people who need his love, who need his forgiveness, who need his grace. Would you pray with me and ask that you would make us to be that kind of people in the church? Father God, you give us the message to confess. You give our, our hearts understanding open our eyes to see the reality of your grace and your truth and your mercy to, to know that you really did die for sinners, to know that you really did die for us would you empower us to be a people who are taking that message who believe it in, in such a way that we pray it's truth for others, that we give for it's truth so that others may see that we put ourselves out there that we think of, of individuals that we know to pray for, to invite, to encourage with your truth because you want to use us. You want to us to share in all that you're doing. And so give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden for this gap. We ask all these things in Christ's holy name.